You're listening to the Brand Builders Podcast with your hosts, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. Welcome to another episode of the award-winning Brand Builders Podcast powered by the Dunstan Group. My name is Brian Young. We are here with the president of the Dunstan Group, Scott Dunstan. And we are here with Stephanie Perai, who is a candidate for LLS Woman of the Year with an amazing story. We're also blessed to have Dr. Josh Seidner and Laura Blanchard. Josh is a doctor and Laura is a PA. And let's talk a little bit about this story. Now, Stephanie just recently lost her husband to cancer. They have two young kids. And let's tell a little bit about, you know, this story and really, you know, what they're doing to help others in the same situation. Now, cancer research is a big deal to us here at the Dunstan Group because of how cancer has touched our lives personally. We love working with a lot of local nonprofits specifically that support the cancer, you know, world. And our next guest on the Brand Butters podcast has seen the devastation of cancer. She lost her husband, Chris, to acute myeloid leukemia over a year ago in January of 2021. Since then, Stephanie has made up her mind to fight back just like her husband, Chris, did and has put her hat in into running for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society Woman of the Year. Now, Stephanie is going to join us to tell about this story, but we're so excited to also have Dr. Josh Seidner, who's the Chief of Leukemia Research at UNC, and Laura, who is a PA in hematology. Thank you all so much for joining us, for being open to sharing this story. Uh, we're so excited to learn more about it, but really look in, and see how you guys have taken such a horrible story, turned it into something positive and are really trying to help others that have been going through the same thing or potentially could go through the same thing in the future. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Brand Builders Podcast. My Happy pleasure. to be here. Thanks for having us. Thank, Thank you all so much. Yes, absolutely. And we're, we're looking forward to, uh, to having this conversation with you all. And Stephanie, I'd like to start with you first, uh, you and Chris. Tell us about Chris. What was he like? how you met and your beautiful children. Gosh, so Chris and I met when we were babies, it seems like now, but um, we actually met at a chairman of the board concert. And it turned out that he's from the same small town that my parents had relocated to on the coast. And um, and we just, we hit it off. And we were married for five years before we had our first son, Wiggs, um, who is getting ready to turn eight in about a month. Um, and then we had Ann Carlisle, who will turn six this fall. So we've got two little ones. Um, you know, and I think if Chris, if you ask Chris this question, I think he would first and foremost tell you that A, he loves Jesus, um, and B, that he just loves being a dad. And he was, I mean, he was a very hands-on dad. Um, he also loved giving back. So he would give back through um, lots of different volunteer organizations, lots of different Bible study opportunities. Um, but he also loved the outdoors. He felt like that was God's creation. and he just loved fishing. He loved offshore fishing. He loved hunting, and he just loved the just the beauty that surrounded him while while he enjoyed that. And so he he did a lot of give back as it related to um, to wildlife and fishing as well. He's my kind of guy. I uh, I love the outdoors. <laughs> um, what small town in North Carolina? Uh, so so he's actually from Moorhead City. Moorhead um, City. Okay. I'm a small town guy, Elizabeth City, just north of there is where I grew up and uh, been in Charlotte 22 years now. But uh, yeah, know that area well, and and, uh, he's my kind of people, and obviously you are too. (laughs) Yes. So tell us about, um, you know, his journey uh, as a parent um, of having two boys. It's the one thing that me and you, Stephanie, talked about. You know, I'm not scared of of passing away because I I do believe in Jesus. But the one thing that terrifies me is is leaving, you know, my children. And I want to hear the story of how, you know, he got diagnosed. And then we'll bring in Josh and Laura to talk a little bit more about that journey. Um, But tell us, you know, that that kind of raw emotion of of how it happened and, and, and how he was such a fighter from the very beginning to the end. Yeah, so a little background, um, we were, my parents have a small little rental property um, in Atlantic Beach. We were down there for the last half of COVID. My sister had come home and it was our turn to go. And so we were down there with the kids and, um, you know, Chris came came up one night to the bedroom and said, I'm so tired. And I laughed it off. I was like, you've been fishing too much. You know, everybody had plenty <laughs> of time since COVID. And, and then he started getting these bruises. Um, 
And then he, he ended up making a doctor's appointment because he just didn't feel like himself. He was getting these bruises. He was tired. And, you know, we, we just never really crossed our minds that it would be something this monumental. But um, his blood tests came back with a little bit of an elevated blood count. And, um, and things progressed really quickly. It was about five days. And we celebrated Wiggs' birthday during that. Um, and he was a trooper. He was in so much pain. And he had these terrible bruises. And he was exhausted. But, you know, he stood outside during what everybody did at that time was the drive-through birthday parties during COVID. And so he stood outside. And I remember he went and got a chair and sat at the end of the driveway and i thought something is not right because he is just not himself and um and a couple days later i ended up taking him to the er um because he was just so sick and they immediately um called me and said that they are not oncologists but they would be sending him to the unc cancer center and he would likely have a cancer diagnosis within a few days whenever they could get the, the blood work back and so i said can i see him and they said you know it's covid but what we'll do is we'll hold the ambulance until you can get here. And so I got to see him um, just out outside the ER door on the way to the ambulance. And he gave me a thumbs up and I took a picture and, you know, he said, God, this God's in control. And um, you know, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know anything about any of this. All I knew was that it was COVID and he was being whisked away to Chapel Hill where I, I couldn't see him because nobody was allowed in the hospital. Um, and so that's where we met you know, Dr. Zeidner's team and Laura's team. And, um, you know, it was hard. We FaceTimed, but, you know, Chris had lost a lot of vision. He had, a lot of his cognition was just off. And so communication with him was incredibly difficult. So I really relied on the nurses and the doctors to call me and tell me how he was doing. He couldn't swallow very well. He couldn't see. Um, it was just tough. It was really tough. And we um, were finally able to to visit. So they were allowed to have one visitor for, I guess, the duration of their stay at that point. And um, I mean, that was just one of the happiest days of my life. I just got to see him and he didn't look like himself. He looked sick. Um, but I remember Laura actually came to visit us um, right before he was getting ready to get discharged after we'd found out from Dr. Zeidner that he had AML and all the details of that. And um, But Laura came to see us because we have a mutual friend who, um, is just wonderful and she sent Laura and at that point I just I had no idea what a true friend Laura would would become um she wasn't on his on his team at that point um and I kept asking Dr. Zeidner who's ready to discharge him and like he couldn't swallow still he had all these issues and Dr. Zeidner kept saying this counts for him back I promise as soon as you get home it's going to come back and you know, we got home on, on my July 2nd maybe and by July 4th, he wanted a hot dog and a hamburger, and we ate on our back patio, and we just laughed, and we're like, Dr. Zachary's exactly right. Like, this is what happened. And, you know, so we thought he was in remission, but um, unfortunately, his leukemia was just really aggressive, and, and that was kind of just the beginning um, of, his, of his journey. But, you know, the one thing that stuck out during all of that, and I think Dr. Zeidner and Laura would, would say this, too, is just his positive, positive outlook, and he just... He never felt sorry for himself. People would call him and, you know, he could talk on the phone because his hearing was really the only, only thing he had left. And, um, you know, you would just tell people, you know, God's in control. I've got, he's got this. Whatever his plan is, it's, you know, it is good. And if one person hears my story and believes in Jesus because of it, then it's all worth it. And, you know, as a wife and a mother to two of our small children, that's hard to hear. Um, but it's so encouraging to hear too that, you know, he, he totally trusted his doctors and his team and, and I did too. And I think when, you know, we had that confidence that, that A, God was in control and B, we had the best doctors in the world working with him, then, you know, we can't be scared. We've got to just fight. And that's what he decided to do. Amazing. And, and let's go to you, um, Josh, you know, you uh, we're instrumental in, in, in helping him throughout, uh, I believe, a clinical trial. Um, would love to, to hear from you a little bit more about AML and, and not only the work that you did with Chris, but what work you're doing uh, to, to, to really try and beat you know, that form and that type of leukemia. Yeah. Well, first off, again, thanks so much for having me. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a real honor to be here talking with you and, and sharing Chris's story. Um, you know, I, I think to step back and first talk a little bit about acute myeloid leukemia and then how it relates to sort of Chris's presentation, which, by the way, is pretty common in, in how uh, patients Chris's age in particular present with this disease. 
Um, I, I like to think of the bone marrow as an organ in the body, just like the heart and lungs. And so the bone marrow's primary function as an organ is to be the factory to produce blood cells. So our bone marrow produces millions of cells a second, and they produce the white blood cells that form the immune system, the red blood cells that carry oxygen throughout the body, and platelets that clot the blood. And we need these cells for our everyday function and um, uh, to sustain our, our everyday um, uh, uh, function of, of, of these blood cells. The way acute myeloid leukemia develops is that very early when these blood cells are produced in the bone marrow, a mistake occurs in, in one of these early sort of what we call progenitor cells that eventually leads to these white blood cells mature, white blood cells, red blood cells, and platelets. And mistakes happen all the time when these cells divide, but 99.9% .9 of the time, our immune system catches these mistakes and prevent that mistake from replicating that ultimately could lead to cancer down the road. For whatever reason, by chance, um, uh, in, in Chris's case and, and other patients who develop this disease, these mistakes occur and go unchecked and eventually over time lead to more and more uh, uh, abnormal cells that lead to the production of these cancer cells in the bone marrow that prevents the bone marrow from producing the normal blood cells, the red blood cells, the white blood cells, and platelets. Um, most patients don't have any risk factors for acute myeloid leukemia. So unlike other cancers, smoking, alcohol, other sort of um, uh, behavioral approaches are, are, are really not big risk factors for this cancer. The biggest risk factor is actually age. As people get older, this cancer is much more common, less common in, in people like Chris's age, who is 33 at, at the time of his diagnosis. We see all age groups affected, even children, but, but the average age of this uh, cancer, acute myeloid leukemia, is 67, 68 years in the United States. So this is really a, a, a cancer of, of older patients. Um, people present very, uh, we call it acutely. So um, people have symptoms typically over one to two weeks before they kind of, you know, seek medical care. And, you know, Chris's story is very common in um, the, the, the uh, most usual presentation of this cancer where people just feel very sick and ill over about days to weeks that requires them to seek medical care. Some of those symptoms are just feeling fatigued, not able to do the usual activities, bruising and bleeding is pretty common. And um, eventually the, the symptoms get so severe that, that people, you know, either seek a uh, primary care, you know, appointment or sometimes end up in the emergency room where they have just very unusual blood counts. It's a life-threatening cancer that without urgent sort of intervention, you know, this is something that is fatal without um, being able to intervene as quickly as, um, as these patients present. So tell us a little bit about, you know, the clinical trial that Chris did and really what you're doing to, to, to counter this. And I, you know, I think the question that a lot of people ask is, you know, when are we going to get a cure for cancer? And that's such a broad you know question, but there's amazing people like you that are working on that on a daily basis. And, and I would love to hear, you know, what you're doing and, and, and really educating our audience um, on ways that, that you guys are, are trying to tackle and, and battle this, this deadly disease. Yeah, no, I, I, so it'd be my pleasure to, to talk about that. And I'll give you a little bit of a historical context in this cancer. Um, the the long-term survival of patients with acute myeloid leukemia is on the order of about 40 or so percent in people who are younger than 65 years. So Chris would be in that category. So the long-term survival cure rate, let's say, is between, let's say, 30 and 40%. And that number really hasn't changed much in the last 20 years. Um, with other cancers, we've seen so many new treatments and kind of cutting-edge treatments that can really improve the cancer state may not cure cancers, but may be able to lead to remissions that can last for long periods of time. And in acute myeloid leukemia, prior to 2017, we had no new drugs approved for this cancer in over two decades. So this was a cancer that was, it's a very high unmet need without a lot of novel treatments that we know are effective. Now in 2017, since then, 
we've had nine new drugs that have been FDA approved to treat acute myeloid leukemia. So we've made a lot of headway in the last few years. And all of these new treatments obviously started with cutting edge clinical trials that were done at our institution and others to be able to identify which people can actually uh, uh, achieve a response to some of these new treatments. What we're really hoping to do, what I think is the current state and the future of this cancer is that we're really able to individualize treatment much better than we were able to do a few years ago so that we can look at the individual case and the characteristics of the cancer and target specific mutations or specific characteristics of the cancer that might make one person do well with that treatment but may not work for a different type of, of patient. And that's really, I think, what the future holds of, of, uh, of acute myeloid leukemia. You know, we, Chris had a very um, resistant type of acute leukemia, as Stephanie uh, alluded to. You know, he initially had maybe an equivocal, we call it an equivocal response to his first treatment that he had. There were some um, uh, um, characteristics that suggested the leukemia was responding well, but over the next few weeks, his cancer continued to progress. And this was a cancer that we knew conventional treatments were not going to be very effective. So we talked about a real cutting edge early phase clinical trial. An early phase clinical trial sometimes may include the first time a drug is being studied in a patient. These may be treatments that have been studied in the lab or studied in animals, but have not been formally tested in people. There's um, many times a strong rationale and a promise to study these drugs, but we don't really know how safe and effective many of these early stage treatments are in, in patients with cancer. We took the chance to study a very early molecule in Chris's case because his cancer was so resistant and was really not responding to some of the conventional ways that we treat this cancer. Um, this is a, um, uh, uh, the clinical trial that Chris enrolled on is studying a sort of new immunotherapy way to target the leukemia by targeting the immune system to recognize the leukemia as foreign and attack the leukemia by just the conventional cells of the immune system. This is kind of a high risk, high reward type of treatment because it can have a lot of side effects and a lot of toxicity, but a very kind of novel approach in order for the body to uh, kill the, the leukemia cells. And, and that was the type of study that Chris enrolled on. Um, and unfortunately, you know, got, got very sick on the study and, 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 and did not have uh, the response we were hoping for on this study. So we know Stephanie is raising money for LLS in their Woman of the Year campaign, which is absolutely uh, phenomenal. Thank you for doing that, Stephanie, and wish you huge success there. How does that money raised help your research uh, for your patients and some of the things you just described for whomever? <laughs> whomever uh, will accept that, that question. I can talk about it in the um, the ways that it helps um, patients across the board. So Josh can talk more to their research aspect of it, because that's where he sees where some of the funding comes. Um, but from a patient perspective, there are a lot of issues when patients come in into the hospital. It's very expensive um, to stay in the hospital. There's a um, very long extended stay that they have to stay with us. Most of them have to stay with us at a month at a time. So if you can imagine, there's a lot of bills and things that come up um, if people don't have means or have jobs already and then they get this diagnosis, they lose their income as well. And so LLS helps patients um, find money for lodging, for travel, um, for food. Um, so anything that can kind of help support them through the process. Um, they also have a lot of patient education, which is really helpful. A lot of people hear these diagnoses, um, they hear what the medical team is saying, and we try really hard to break it down to the, for them so that's a, a way that they can understand. But even then, we know that we have this training and we are using words, they have no idea what they mean. And so they also provide very good education that breaks everything down and kind of explains like this is actually what's going on. They provide patient support and they connect you to other patients so that you have um, 
other relationships that you can build so that you're not doing this process alone. Um, so I think from that standpoint, from they're very good at patient advocacy, patient education, but also funding the research that Josh does. So Josh, do you want to talk about the research that uh, that you get to do a lot? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be, be honored to. So, um, you know, LLS is um, the most, um, uh, provides the most support for blood cancer research uh, from an organization standpoint. Um, of the nine new drugs that have been approved in the last five years for acute myeloid leukemia, the vast majority of those drugs were initially funded by research studies that the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society was really instrumental in, in, in supporting and funding. So, you know, I think their, their support is really critical for us to do the things that we're doing to advance this field. I can talk about, you know, two uh, specific studies that I'm particularly involved with that um, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society is really instrumental in, in funding and supporting. One is a big um, nationwide study called BEAT-AML, BEAT Acute Myeloid Leukemia. And this is actually a, an initiative that was launched by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society that is being conducted at over a dozen different institutions in America. And, and we at U University of North Carolina are really fortunate to be involved in this study. And the rationale of this study is to exactly do what I was mentioning earlier, which is to sort of genotype all individual patients with newly diagnosed acute leukemia and find the best treatment that would be tailored for that individual patient. And that is based on different mutations that the leukemia may express or other characteristics that the leukemia may express that we think a new treatment might be best suited for. So there is a, um, uh, uh, a central sort of um, um, mutational testing that's done on this study to individualize treatment approaches for each individual patient. And I think that this is really going to advance the field over the next five years as we can uh, identify different treatments that are specifically working on different um, uh, leukemia um, genotypes. Um, so that is one study that we're really interested in, we're, we're participating in, and I think is really gonna provide uh, critical information for, for the field moving forward. Um, I, in particular, have been very interested in studying novel ways for the immune system to attack leukemia cells. Some of those research studies are also funded by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, where we're studying new mechanisms and new drugs to kind of target and stimulate the immune system to, to fight leukemia cells. Um, so I, as Laura mentioned, I think the, the uh, efforts that LLS has is multifaceted from a patient standpoint, but from a research perspective, we really see the fruits of their labor on a day-to-day on -day basis. I love that. And, and I want to um, ask this with Stephanie. I know, you know, when, when Chris got diagnosed, it was very quick. Uh, I think it was seven months uh, before he had passed away and you have two small children and, you know, being a parent and thinking about that just brings tears to my eyes, but you guys have been very positive. And I think that was, you know, driven by Chris and his belief and, and being a fighter till the end, take us through, you know, those last moments, you know, with Chris and how you've used that as strength, not only for your children, but now to go out and try to work not only with your doctors, with Josh, with Laura, and, and to come up with a ways that other families, you know, might not have to go through the same thing that you did. Wow. Yeah. So I could get emotional talking about this, but thinking through those last, you know, few days, Chris, at the beginning of the trial, which started in October, um, you know, they bring in a, um, a whole team of people. And so palliative care is one of them. And I remember I had run an errand and Chris called me and he said, you won't believe this, but palliative care came by. Like, they're my team. Why? And we knew the risks, but I mean, that was our outlook. Like, we're going to beat this. We don't need palliative care. But it turns out, you know, they're keeping them comfortable. And the, the trial was very um, just difficult. And so um, that, um, so palliative care um, came by and um, then, you know, sorry, let me back up. I'm super, I can get emotional talking about this. So palliative care got involved. And then the next thing was 
Laura's team was involved. And so, you know, of course, along with Dr. Zeidner. And so they asked him at the very beginning, they said, what, what's your goal? You know, other than the obvious, what, what are your very specific goals? And, you know, Chris's one goal was to be home by Christmas. And this was October. So, you know, to say to be home by Christmas, like he's really thinking ahead. And it turned out that was the goal that we all worked so, so hard towards. Um, and so after being intubated in ICU and thinking we're losing him to walking just two weeks later, which was truly a miracle to being discharged on Christmas Eve. And, um, you know, getting home at Christmas was huge. And the kids had been living with my parents and they brought them home and we were all together for Christmas and it was magical. It was hard. There was a lot of nausea. There was a lot of pain. There were a lot of um, flushing lines. I mean, it was not glamorous, but it was magical. And, you know, to see Christmas through his eyes um, and through my children, um, just in a very different way, it was tremendous. And, you know, I think that's really what Chris worked hard for was to be home for that last Christmas. And so he got to spend about a week with the kids and he went downhill fast. And I remember I took him in for an infusion and I just called Laura and I said, I don't know if I feel safe bringing him back home. He, he was so weak that my dad was, had moved in with us. My mom was living with us. Like I had to have so much help and, and I was glad to do it, but I just didn't feel like it was the best thing for him or for me. And so he was readmitted to the hospital and, um, that's when we found out that, you know, he was dying. There was nothing else he could do. The leukemia was just too strong. And despite all of the drugs and all of the best efforts and all of the fighting, there was just nothing else he could do. And I remember, like it was yesterday, Dr. Zeidner sat down um, with Dr. Lavin from the palliative care team, who had become a good friend too. And, and Dr. Zeidner just said, Chris, I, you know, I'm so sorry, but there's, there's nothing else that I can do. And Chris just looked down and said, let's keep fighting like it it just to him was not he was still willing to fight even how with how sick he was um but we worked through that and we talked about things like hospice and the next question that came up was what about the kids and you know he had is he going to see him again he didn't tell him bye when he left to go to this infusion treatment when i decided i can't bring him back home and um and so we worked with the unc conference of cancer center which is the most phenomenal organization and they they work with patients and their families um, who are being treated at the at the hospital. And um, I remember Laura got him moved from the unit he was on back to his kind of home on the fourth floor oncology. And um, she basically was like, bring whoever you want to bring, you know? And at that point it was, do the kids want to come to the dogs want to come? Like who wants to come? Cause this is a hundred percent worth it. And, um, and so they got the kids up and Laura and, um, his recreational therapist, Katie, I mean, they had gifts for the kids from wigs, they, or from Chris, they had candy, they had stuffed animals, they had these fun wigs that we all wore and dressed up. And, um, and it was hard. It was really, really hard just watching and knowing, I can't imagine what went through Chris's head, but just knowing that like, this is the last time they're going to see their dad. And that is, there's no question about that. It was a very final feeling. And I remember, um, they finally said goodbye. We did not tell them that that's what that was. We just felt like we wanted it to be happy. We wanted it to be a, a, a time that they could just enjoy spending time with their dad. And it was a goodbye for him. And um, we left to take the kids downstairs and we ran into Dr. Zeidner in the hall. And I just remember him talking to Wiggs. And, you know, he has kids Wiggs' age. And Laura has little kids too. And to just see on his face and the things that he talked about with wigs, just how much they all cared and how much they all tried. Um, it was hard. It was really hard. Um, but you know, Chris told us later that day after Laura made this surprise video for me, which was really sweet. You know, he told me later that day, he said it was hard, but I'm so glad I did it. Um, and he just continued to say that, you know, he bought and that hopefully um, the kids will one day understand how hard he fought um for them really more than anything and um you know he said he wasn't scared to die but the one thing you know brian like you alluded to was that he's just gonna miss the kids growing up and that made him so sad but to know that you know he was cared for at unc by people that truly get it it is not just another research study or another patient but you know, his doctors and his team really just truly 
they have families, they get it. They've walked in those shoes. And um, it was just a, it was really meaningful. And so Chris actually moved to hospice um, on a Friday. It was a rainy Friday. And um, Dr. Lavin told me, pulled me on the hall and he said, you know, Chris is a fighter, but Chris is ready. And so just, you know, it could take anywhere from, you know, minutes to weeks, he said, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was fast for Chris. So just, just be prepared. And, you know, we got to hospice and um, they did a beautiful send off at the hospital. I mean, it was people lined the halls and there was music and I mean, it was just incredibly touching and moving, but we got to hospice and um, Chris died within 32 minutes. Um, I don't think he wanted to die at UNC where he had been for seven months, pretty much consistently. Um, you know, there were, we have friends there now. They were more like our family. And I think, you know, much in death, just like in life with Chris, he was very quiet. Um, he was reserved. He didn't want a lot of fanfare. He didn't want a lot of attention. Um, and so 32 minutes and, you know, we got there and they started cleaning you know, Chris up and preparing him and, and changing him to the bed. And, and the nurse came and got me and I said, I think you should come back in. I was talking to the doctor. And, um, and so I came back in and he just said, I love you. And then um, we just talked. I just, I talked to him really um, as he was leaving this world and kind of between here and there, here in heaven. And I didn't know what to make of it. And I didn't exactly know where he was. But I told him all of that. And honestly, it was the most beautiful, probably four minutes. Um, it was truly a testimony to how at peace he was. Um, the type of person that Chris was, the type of team that surrounded him, from the nurses to the CNAs to the MPs to Dr. Zeidner and his team. I mean, it was just truly remarkable and he was at peace. And we're all at peace. It's hard and it's so hard, but you know, he's not hurting anymore. And I think for me at the end of the day, that is, that is what truly matters. Stephanie, when was this? When, when did he pass? Yeah, so it was January 8th of 2021. Um, and it just, you know, it was, you know, so he really didn't make it very long after Christmas at all. He, he He's incredibly goal-oriented. So he made it to Christmas. Um, and then it was just those, those next week and a half that he really just was in the process of dying. And once he accepted that, um, you know, accepted that he didn't have to fight any longer, he was... He was even more at peace, which I didn't, I didn't know what that would look like, but, but it was, and it was remarkable. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, got me all choked you, up over here. You are one strong lady. Yeah. Um, I've, I've got something to say about your kid's perspective. Um, oh God, <laughs> my mother died, uh, 1986 when I was 10 and of leukemia and uh, I'm sorry. I think I exited the same way. Like I didn't know that would be my last time, um, seeing her, but I could tell you the one blessing that has come out of that is that I appreciate life and I live life and, um, don't take any days for granted. And that's, the one blessing that your kids might have that perspective early on that they can carry with them as you continue to uh, carry on his legacy and let them know how strong he was and how much of a fighter he was. Um, I, uh, you know, I've, I've been, I've been there as well and, and I feel for you and I appreciate your hard work and giving back because you could certainly take, the other avenue and just shut down and um that's not good for you or anyone else as well so thank you for that if i could just say you know i think it's just incredibly brave for you know stephanie to be here just a year after you know chris passed away and when she messaged me that she wanted to take this on this opportunity you know, I, I mean, this talk about inspiring us and inspiring us to do more for our patients in this field. And, you know, Chris and Stephanie were the most inspirational people, you know, in, in my career, uh, really to date. And I think this really epitomizes that. Um, and I think what she's doing is just incredible. 
Um, and to just think that this was only a year ago is just is, is mind boggling. Um, you know, I, I, I want to share, this is personal for me as well. You know, my, my father passed away in 1989, actually, and I was six at the time. And, and my father died of a disease, chronic myeloid leukemia, so a, a different type of leukemia than what Chris had. And when my father passed away, obviously I was too young at, at that time to really put everything in context, but he died of a cancer that was universally fatal in the 80s and 90s and is now a disease that I take care of many patients with. And although we may not be curing many of these patients, these patients all have normal life expectancies with groundbreaking therapies, oral drugs that we give these patients. And honestly, I, to bring it back to Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, they were really the organization that put this disease on the map and invested in finding new treatments for it. And, you know, uh, what really inspired me, motivated me to go into medicine and become an oncologist in the first place is to see the rapid advances that were able to be done in a cancer that took my father's life, you know, 30 plus years ago that, I, that are now, you know, people are living every day with that, you know, really have no ill effects from. It's, it's really just um, incredibly inspiring to see how far we've come. Um, uh, so, so this is really personal for me. And, you know, I, I just want to say about Chris, you know, um, Chris was, you know, we, we meet in this field, we meet a lot of special people. Um, you know, this is a cancer that affects people of all walks of life, all ages. Um, but from the moment I met Chris and his family, you know, there was something different about him, something that, you know, was unique. Um, Chris really always asked us how we were doing, always cared about us, even when Chris was very sick and really not able to even have clear thoughts. He would always try to uh, make sure that we were okay and we were comfortable asking about my kids when we were talking about his prognosis. It, these are things that you know, Chris wouldn't even think twice about that. That's just who he was. And when we decided to pursue this clinical trial, you know, Chris told me from the very beginning, you know, if this can help other people, if we can find information out about my leukemia that can help future patients, then that's a win. And obviously the goal for him was to help him, but Chris recognized the bigger picture. He was a selfless, um, incredibly positive person, um, very introspective, very analytical. And, you know, family, as you can tell from Stephanie, you know, family meant everything to him, absolutely everything. And, um, you know, I just wanted to give my perspective. I've only, I only knew Chris for that short period of time when he had leukemia. I wish I knew him prior to his illness because he was just a very special person. There's very few people you can meet in life that that really um, resonate with you like Chris did. You guys are incredible. Um, it's almost hard to even follow up with a question, but I, I do want to transition this over to to really, you know, why we're here and, and, and that's the LLS um, Woman of the Year. You know, I have had the honor of knowing Ryan Weatherington, um, who also lost his wife uh to uh to a disease and has two children and you know stephanie you have two children and now you guys have united families it's an unbelievable story but it's one that we talked about on the phone stephanie where both of you have um you know the unique experience of of i don't even want to say moving on because you you said this that, the, that both of your significant others will always be there every single day you'll talk about it but now your kids get to grow up and basically have new siblings that all went through the same thing. And you guys are moving in a very positive manner. And, and I was so you know, proud of Ryan and how strong he was when he went through everything. And I haven't gotten the chance to meet you personally, but um, tell us a little bit about that. And then I would love for you to transition that into how our listeners can support you. I don't think there's anybody that's going to be able to beat you for woman of the year. Uh, and, uh, and, and we will do everything we can to promote that. But I would love for you to tell that story because I think it, it, it was so, it's so unique that you two knew each other before you and Ryan, you both experienced something that nobody wants to experience, but now that's united two families. You now have four children under one roof that everybody gets it. Everybody understands 
really what had happened. And and I I can only imagine what the six of you are going to do uh, in the future. Well, it's you know I'm I'm incredibly fortunate because Ryan's making tons of connections and and really helping me with this campaign. And in turn, I get to help him with his work for Crohn's and colitis, which is what his wife Carrie. Um, really battled for for most of her adult life and, and he walked that journey with her. But yeah, so we've known each other for, for 20 some years. We've lost touch um, for quite a few of those. But, you know, when we were quarantining at the beach, um, I saw where he shared about his wife being um, sick. She was, she had a, a brain tumor and they were um, going to Charleston to, to try to fix that. Um, and so, you know, my son, I was walking on the beach with him and I was telling him that this guy that has a has a son his age and telling him about his mommy's sick. And you know, I just felt so connected to the story. And, and Chris and I talked about it a lot and they had kids almost identical ages, ours. And, and Chris and I just talked about how hard that would be. And it, it turned out she passed away and two weeks later, Chris was diagnosed. And so it was the story that we were so invested in um, just from a perspective of a parent and not cannot imagine what it would be like to go through something like that. And so Chris prayed for them and I prayed for them and I let them know. And, you know, when he saw that Chris got sick, he just reached out and, and, you know, the best advice that anybody gave me was from Ryan. And he said, you know, nobody wants to be in this club with a sick spouse at our age and with little kids. But if I can give you one piece of advice, he said, take it or leave it. But, you know, no matter who your kids are with, if they say, will you play with me? tell the people they're with to play with them. That is their way of expressing their need because they can't put into words their emotion. And um, and that just rang true for, for so many reasons. And my kids were with so many people. And um, anyway, long story short, um, the only thing Chris and I somewhat argued about during his entire diagnosis was um, please get remarried. And I remember when we were first told he was eating that hot dog and hamburger on July 4th, he we were sitting in the back patio and had a really long discussion about it. And I, I told him, I said, well, you're not going to die. So I'm not going to get remarried. That's silly. And he just kept saying, but if anything changes, please do. And I kept telling him no, his entire diagnosis. And, and those final four days that we knew that he was dying and in the process of getting a room hospice. And, you know, he, he told me to get out my notebook, which Dr. Zeiner and Laura probably remember well. I wrote everything in this little blue notebook. It was kind of my source of comfort because I couldn't make sense of anything at the time. And so I'd go back and read it. And um, he gave me a list of things to do. And number two on that list was get remarried. And who are you to argue with somebody who you know is dying? So I said, we're just not going to talk about it. And he just went on to say, you know, even if it's not for you, the best gift that you can give my kids is a dad that can be here to raise them. And, you know, if that doesn't epitomize Chris, I don't know what does. The selfless nature of him wanting someone to raise his kids because it is what's best for them. And he knew he couldn't be here to do it. And, you know, at that moment, it just kind of sank in. And I was like, gosh, okay. Um, but, you know, I just, I wasn't ready for anything. Obviously, Chris was still here. I worried about things like baggage and, and all of that kind of stuff. But, um, but you know, Ryan walked back into my life and reached out um, fairly regularly after Chris died, just checking on me because I didn't know anybody else in this really lonely club. Um, and Ryan ended up dating and, and it was fast because we both just, you know, Scott, as you mentioned, just realized the value of not taking a single day for granted. And, you know, the, the best part of all of this is that they understand, they get it. They, um, they understand what it's like to miss a parent. They understand what it's like to miss a spouse. Ryan understands that I'm going to love Chris Perry every day for the rest of my life. And, you know, I equate it sometimes to, to having a second child. You have that first child and you didn't think there was ever going to be room in your heart for another child. How could you love that child more? And that second one come along and gosh, your heart just expands me. Love them both. And it's a little bit like it is with, with Ryan and Chris. I will love Chris every day forever. And, you know, there are so many things like ladybugs and, you know, my kid smiles, wigs is, couldn't be more like daddy tried. I mean, it is, it is beautiful the way that God has just made this plan perfect. Um, really, really hard. 
but perfect. And we're happy. We're really happy, but it's also incredibly hard. But I'm just thankful we have somebody that is there and understands our grief, you know, on our very hardest days. So all that to say, I am running for woman of the year and I am um, excited. I, it's not necessarily my comfort zone asking people for money, but Laura is on the board and reached out and said, I think you can really do this. And I thought, well, if I put enough really smart people around me, then I think we can. And, um, you know, my other thought was, who cares if I'm not super comfortable asking people for money every day? Chris was uncomfortable for seven months and fought so stinking hard. And so if he can do that, the least I can do is raise money. It was one of the the things that I mentioned, the list in the notebook. Um, one of the things he asked me to do was raise money for research because he knew how important it was. Um, and so, you know, given he said that and Laura asked, I felt like it was meant to be. And um, so I built a really smart team and Dr. Zadner's on my team and I'm thrilled about that. And um, so we have until May 21st to, to have as much money as we can. And, you know, win or lose, which I'm competitive, so I want to win. Um, the best part of all of it is that, you know, more and more people will get to hear Chris's story and hopefully we'll continue to raise awareness of the funds that are needed to really change outcomes for other families. You know, nine new drugs since 2017 is, is not a lot. And so, um, you know, getting more awareness around this, just like so many other types of cancer has, is, is something that I'm truly committed to. Thank you for having us today. Yeah, Laura. Can I leave my link today? Yeah, Thank 100%. You. We're going to put wow. all of that on there. But Laura, since you're on the board, what do we need to do? What do our listeners need to do? What can we do to, to support LLS, obviously? But let's let's get Stephanie LLS one of the year because she deserves it. Yes. What can we do? So Stephanie is going to have a specific link. Um, and every member on her team has a specific link. So if you have a website or somewhere that you can point listeners to, to click on that link, um, it is a very easy way to donate money. You just click a button, you put in how much you want to do, and it sends the money directly to LLS. And so with a lot of um, other organizations, money goes to like all of these other things, and then the things that are left over go to whatever the actual profit is. But with LLS, all of the money that we raise really goes directly back to the patient, back to the research, back to figuring out how to get rid of this absolutely devastating disease and all of the other blood cancers that happen. Um, and so even if it's only $5, $5, $1, whatever it is, that's $1 more than we had even 30 seconds ago. So um, if you can go big, go big, but if you can go small, any little bit helps. Um, and so we wanna um, support Stephanie. She's amazing. I'm so glad that she accepted this nomination. Um, and it's also about advocacy. So we just want to spread the word. We want people to know that leukemia absolutely sucks. It's killing so many people. And Josh and I went into um, this line of work because we want to figure out how to cure it. That is our goal. That's why him and I have um, also ran for um, man and woman of the year in the past because we are so dedicated to finding a cure for this disease. And right now money is how we get research. Money is how we get new drugs. We need people to to do their research so that we can actually cure it. What is the link? Do we have the link? Can you say it? I know I know. Well, I will post it in all of this, but if you have it handy, that would be awesome. You got your specific yes. one? Stephanie? Oh, of course I do. I'll send it to you too. It's pages.lls.org backslash M-W-O-Y, which is man and woman of the year, backslash N-C, backslash triangle 22 backslash s pari so it's s p as in paul e r r i and if you are driving if you are driving just call me and we will give you that link we will have it everywhere um you know uh, and i'll just mention as as laura laura you know iterated cogently uh you know we we both ran for this in the past i ran in 2016 for the man of the year campaign uh, I nominated Laura a few years later, and Laura actually won the competition as as Woman of the Year. This is something near and dear to our hearts, and you know, again, we see really the fruits of of of, of our labor uh, every day in our patients with uh, the impact that that this makes. Um, uh, Stephanie has a really lofty goal, you know, one hundred thirty four thousand, and that is 
you know, meaningful because, you know, 34,000 uh, represented each, you know, year uh, uh, of Chris's life over 100,000. So Chris died at the age of 34. And um, we're really hoping to, to achieve that. And this is going to make a huge impact in uh, our community in North Carolina, as well as nationally and helping patients with uh, blood cancers, not just acute leukemia, um, and, and moving the field forward with, with new therapies to you know, help um, uh, improve the outcomes of, of future patients like Chris with, with these devastating cancers. So you know, we really encourage everyone to, uh, to donate every, any amount that you can. Um, it, it makes a huge impact and what an incredible story that Stephanie is, is running, uh, uh, that we're all running uh, in memory of. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, you guys. Thank you so much. Um, you know, doctors. I know you mentioned a multiple, a lot of times. You know, how proud you are of Stephanie for coming on and sharing this story. We're proud of all of you. I'm proud of Scott for sharing his side of the story. You guys had me crying the entire time, <laughs> um, yeah, which is a good thing. You know, um, like my wife likes to say, I'm a crier, but it is what it is, right? So, you know, I, I just am very proud of all of you guys for coming on. I'm proud of what you guys are doing to not only support this, um, it, these, this is why we started this podcast. And I hope, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, if you've made it this far, then you're committed. So that means you need to get out your wallet. You need to, to donate to the cause. Um, let's, let's support the people that are so passionate about tackling cancer and beating cancer. And, and that goes a really long way. And, um, like I said, I'm just very proud of all of you guys for coming on. I hope in some way we can connect the dots, whether that's, giving support for a family going through this, whether that's raising funds to, to come, you know, up with a cancer, um, a cure, a cure for cancer, and, and ultimately just, just honored to, to, to be able to use this platform to share all of your stories. I'll second that. Thank you for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys so much. Um, we will connect. We will get this going. Go to the link. I'm going to have the link in everything that we do. If you cannot find the link, you can call me. You can email me, brian at dunstangroup.biz. You know how to find us. And uh, again, thank you, Stephanie. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Laura, so much. Continue to do the amazing work. We can't wait to follow it. We can't wait to donate. Um, best of luck, Stephanie, and LLS Women of the Year. And again, um, just thank you guys so much. Honored to share this story. And until next time, you've been listening to this episode of the Brand Builders Podcast. been listening to the brand builders podcast brought to you by the dunston group with your host scott dunston and brian young for branded merchandise and apparel that makes first impressions and ones that last check out the dunston group at dunstongroup.com <laughs>